0: Speaker is Seema, who is going to speak from a relapse and recovery perspective. And there's uh, a little and on the end of this sentence, so it's apparently the end of mystery, or there's something. It's a mystery, m- very mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so Oops. I'm going to, so can we please welcome Seema? Okay. To start with, Kate borrowed my opening (laughs) lines, right here, on the table in the back, um, the relapse and recovery table. So I'm not going to read it again, but it's a wonderful quote and you can pick it up over there. It's the one that I usually read when I'm speaking and I start to cry every time I do it. Um, Because it says, we all need to be loved and accepted. And then it goes on to say because, not because we're absent, etc., but just the concept of we all need to be loved and accepted, loved and accepted, bypasses all my defenses, everything I learned from the time I was a little girl, everything I brought into OA, and everything I've been able to overcome and transform work through working this program. I never felt loved and accepted, not as a little girl, not in high school, definitely not in college. And since and now, I kind of am working my way toward that, and sometimes I do, Um, more often than I used to, and maybe even like half the time, I feel loved and accepted. I'm working on accepting myself, which is hard, um, because when I hear it from others, as soon as they're gone, it's like, "Hmm," in comes the judge. But we're working on it. So I'm not gonna read that, (laughs) thank you. But I do wanna say, read, Three things that I, three or four, maybe five, I'm not certain. It's, first of all, it's not an I program, it's a we program. Hopefully Kate's share brought home why that's true, and my share certainly will. I was, I have had a very difficult life. I grew up in a traumatic and traumatizing family where there was physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, and basically got myself erased by a narcissistic bullying parent who said what you do and say and think isn't important, you have to do it my way. So when you're a little kid, you believe that stuff, and I went into hiding. I didn't start eating then. I don't know how come that happened. I grew up in a working class Jewish family on the Lower East Side of New York, and I can't believe I didn't start overeating food in that in that family because everybody else did. But um, I didn't. The one thing I did make sure I did was I went to college away from home. Freedom, I thought. I got up there the first day and I was wearing an armband, a uh, bracelet on my arm and I did everything to look like a hippie that I thought a hippie should look like. And by the way, in terms of generation, I'm a, a generation or so older than Kate, so summer of, Hey, ashbury summer, all that stuff was all around in the air so I wanted to be that Um, but the very first thing that I actually did was I went on a diet so there was the hidden lurking compulsive eater I don't know if I was born with it but it certainly was nurture rather maybe not nature but it was nurture I went on a diet and why did I go on a diet because I thought I was fat and because Twiggy who was 6 foot 3 and weighed how much 90 pounds Was a supermodel, and everybody thought she was gorgeous. She was pretty; she was kind of skinny, but she was just gorgeous. And I thought, if I looked like that, then people would love me, and people the the mean boys in high school wouldn't make fun of me, and I wouldn't be awkward with people because I was a shy kid, etc., etc. So I lost. I never became six foot three. (laughs) Nothing I could do to make that happen. Uh, but I, I went below 93 pounds my first two months in college. And needless to say, it was a shock to my family. It was not a shock to me. I thought it was really... I wasn't happy, but I was in control. And the first time I went home on the bus for Thanksgiving vacation, my family got on the bus to greet me, and they walked right by me. They didn't recognize me. They didn't know who I was. And... Um, From then on, it was an inner battle and an outer battle, them to try to get me to eat. Um, My dad was really stupid about it. He would yell at me, what the fuck? Why don't you eat something? You're too skinny. Okay, thanks for sharing. Um, And everybody else just was too nervous to talk about it, but they kept on giving me food. And what I did was um, really worked at not coming home as much as I could, not coming home Holidays, not coming home on break, spring break, that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, but I didn't really know that I had a problem. The binging, I started binging, probably because my body needed to, um, after a while. And I became, I went from anorexia right into bulimia because keeping food in my body was so terrifying to me that I couldn't do it. And so every time I ate, I threw up. Every time for the next 30 years. I started eating in the morning, sometimes I binged, sometimes I had a little bit too much food. And as soon as I ate it, I started eating a whole lot more so I would feel really full and throw up. Um, It's not a great way to live, but I will tell you that it totally distracted me from all the problems, family problems, and internal problems that I grew up with. I did not remember the sexual abuse. I didn't know that my father was verbally and physically abusive. I thought all dads were like that. Um, some of them are, because some of us are in these rooms, right? I'm not the only one, but not all dads are like that. I, my shyness, my self-loathing, my shame about how I looked and what I thought and all of that was very confining. But as long as I could get to the food and a toilet 15, 20 times a day, or I could get myself into a cycle of not eating for several days, I didn't think anything else. Um, I didn't know about anything else. That was the all, that was it. The binging was the problem. And I remember now, about 15 years ago, I started hearing in these rooms, it's not about the food. Now I know, if, but you know what guys, it really is about the food, and it's really not about the food. But you have to get to, it, you can't write away necessarily, unless you're a genius, to it's not about the food, until you've gotten through some of the recovery about the food. Um, I really thought it was the food. I totally forgot that I was abused. I forgot that my family was a wreck. Um, I thought my sisters were both outgoing and popular, uh, sort of popular. Um, One of them was pretty. The other one was the baby of the family, and nobody expected anything of her. Nobody else was fat in my family, but they were always constantly thinking about food. So... um, What I did was I developed a really strong internal dishonesty to protect myself. So, and to have to tell you the truth, I have to still work on it today. Whenever I do a fourth step, dishonesty is right up there in the front. Because when I start to tell the truth, I start to gag. Not hard to tell where the bulimia came from, right? (laughs) But, um, and I have to remind myself it's okay to tell the truth in these rooms. It's OK to tell the truth with a few trusted people outside of these rooms. I had to seek outside help. I was suicidal and tried to commit suicide several times. Although, luckily, it was more I was trying to hurt myself and get attention. I I mean, I took a lot of aspirin and stuff, but I never, I never shot myself or tried to knife myself or do anything that would really take me out, fortunately. But obviously, I needed outside help. So I got that outside help. Um, and between that and OA, and I would say, if I had to choose right now between my therapist and OA, I'd have to say I'd probably pick the program with some regret because I love my therapist. But I want to be here. This is not an I program. It's a WE program. And when I'm in therapy, it's an, it's an I program. My therapist is not part of the WE. She helps. But, and I need you guys. And I'm also a lot, lot healthier and a lot more present and focused than I was when I was 18 and 19 and 20. So I went through college. It took me nine years to finish four years of college. A friend of mine wrote me a poem in which the line was something like, what is it? I feel like I'm spinning alone, spinning alone in chaos, something like that. Um, In the middle of chaos spinning alone in the middle of chaos. And that's what I always felt like. I didn't have, like, like Kate mentioned, I didn't have the tools for dealing with people. So I would either be really superficial, which was easy in my family to do, so I learned that. Or I would go out and binge and throw up, or I'd starve myself, or I'd join a club where you don't have to talk to people. Or I would hide in my room. Um, I had friends, now I would call them acquaintances, but at that time they were friends and I kept very busy, very busy. I was always doing something. (sighs) And somehow I managed to make it to graduation. I was 27 when I graduated. I'm 70 now, 71 in July. I can hardly believe it. I can hardly believe it for a couple of reasons. One is I didn't think I was going to live this long. And one, it's hard to believe when you're in your 20s that anybody lives this long. But I better get used to it, because in my family, we live to the over 100. (laughs) Um, Anyway, what happened was I drove out to California. And I sat down in a cafe in the Mission. And the owner came up and introduced herself. And hi, I'm Sue. And are you new to California? And all these friendly things. And she said, "Um," how did she put it? Have you ever gone to a program called OA? like, what? And in fact, I had. In 1974, I went to one meeting, took home the, the food plan, which was not yet even called gray sheet. It was just on ditto paper. Went home and broke my abstinence by lunchtime. Um, so I never went back again. But here it was, 1976 or 77, and Sue was inviting me to my first meeting that night. And I went, and I stayed. Um, because I heard people, the first guy who spoke was a a cow farmer, a cow rancher in Montana, big guy, cowboy hat, the work, and he was crying during his share, and that really touched me. Um, so fast forward to I stayed in a way, I left for a while because I, my sponsor told me not to eat peanut butter. I said, fuck you, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back because I was standing in front of the mirror in my bedroom A couple of years later, screaming at myself without making noise, didn't want anybody to hear, screaming at myself in the mirror, I can't do this, I can't live like this anymore. So I went back to OA, and um, it was the best thing I had ever done. I still didn't quite get it here, because I I didn't quite like people in OA, I liked some people, but I didn't like the shame, I I felt so much shame about having to be in this program. And bulimia hadn't been invented yet as a word, so nobody, and I didn't want to say binge vomiting in front of like a crowd of people. So I never talked about that. Um, And I never talked about the anorexia. And I was doing a really bad job because I was, I never, oh, that's right, relapse. (laughs) Um, I was the relapse poster child for my 30 or 40 years in the program. I could not get more than a week, ever except for one year I got 29 days and I thought, woohoo, 29 days, and I binged the next day and threw up. Um, so where was I? Oh yeah, I came into OA and I stayed. I met a, some of you in the rooms, I think were here when I, was, when I came in, but I see people at meetings who've been here a long time. And I was very discouraged. The only thing is this was the only house on the block, not the last house, the only house on the block. So I kept coming. And then um, I had a breakdown. It was a result of surgery, major surgery. I didn't come out of it the way other people did. I came out with just falling apart emotionally, just totally (laughs) falling apart. And I didn't want to go to OA, and I went to a nutritionist. And she said, honey, I don't care if you don't like it. you got to go. Okay, so I went. And that was 1992, and I haven't left since then. And thank God, really. Thank God. I don't believe in God, by the way. That would be part of my share if I had two hours. (laughs) But I don't believe in God. I have a very strong spiritual program. Music is probably my higher power because it gives me that altered sense that people have when they're in touch with their higher power. I can cry. I feel expanded inside. I know I'm a human being with other human beings, and music does that. So that's my higher power today. Anyway, um, so I came back. And I stayed, and somebody, a very wise person, thought of starting an anorexic bulimic meeting. Oh, I cried when I heard about that. They're saying bulimia in meetings, oh my! in that one meeting. Oh my God. And I kept staying and staying, and it was very hard. I couldn't get abstinent because the thing about bulimia, and, and the other bulimias, bulimics here in the room may start nodding their heads, is that you have two addictions when you have bulimia. You're addicted to binging, You're addicted. I'm addicted to binging and I'm addicted to throwing up. So I have to give up two addictions in order to recover. And it took me a very long time, a very, very, very long time. Um, And I finally was able to do it. And what helped me to do it was that a focus group called Relapse and recovery was started somewhere in the 90s, early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. I don't know if anybody here was in that beginning group, but it started from a group of people who went to the 930 meeting here on Sunday. Relapse and recovery, 12 step within. Wow, I went to one of those meetings. One of the women I had come in with who had been gorgeous, a New York City style model, skinny, curly black hair, whatever, She was in there, and she was 60 pounds overweight, and she didn't even look unhappy. So I didn't go to those meetings. It was too much for me, but I kept coming, and I kept coming, and I kept coming. It took me years to get a sponsor because I didn't trust people. It took me years to stop looking at my feet when I shared. Um, But I will tell you that incrementally over that time, by continuing to come back, and continuing slowly to learn how to connect with people and look at people when I talked with them and not be ashamed that I binged and threw up all my food, slowly but surely, I started getting better. And so I had, in the big book, they talk about different kinds of spiritual awakenings. One is the burning bush type that Moses had back in the Bible, and that may have been the last time anybody had one like that. (laughs) Maybe not. I won't say that. Some people in here probably had that kind Mine was the incremental time. A little at a time, I was taking a piece out of that past that I had had and putting it into a God box. Even though I don't believe in God, I believe in God boxes. I would take another molecule of that <laughs> past and throw it into a God box. And I can say today, at 70 and a half, which I never, I never thought I would reach this, this age, I forget things too, but um, that I like myself almost as often as, I like myself probably equally with how much I judge myself. I don't dislike myself so much anymore, but I'm pretty fierce judgment having grown up with it. But I like myself. I got up today and got dressed to come here, and I didn't go, ugh. I don't go, ugh, when I look in the mirror anymore. I'm 70 years old, I have a stomach. It happens to women, when we get older, you'll all get there, (laughs) unless you starve yourselves. And please don't do that, it's not healthy. But women, when we get older, we accumulate a bit more fat on our bodies, it's normal. And for the first time in my whole life, this year I stopped trying to make my stomach thinner or stopped thinking that it should be concave. Because concave was always, that was my, um, that was what I wanted to achieve and I don't care anymore. Um, My clothes fit, I wear what I want. I used to be considered kind of weird for what I want and almost lost a job for that but that manager left and now I wear what I want. (laughs) Um, And I guess the thing that I love about OA and that's different from when I started is that this was a one-size-fits-all program when I started. It was gray sheet. If you didn't do gray sheet, you weren't following a food plan. And now it's pretty much any food plan that you can follow that will get you abstinent, do it. Do it hopefully with a sponsor. You know you're not doing it alone. And my food plan, and I'm not going to tell you what it is unless you ask me one-on-one, but mine is very non-traditional and um, unconventional. And it's the only thing that's worked for me since 1977. I can—I've been absent now. I don't know how many years. I don't count them anymore. I can eat what I want. I'm smart enough to know. I like that not buy a bag of that. Maybe I should just buy one because if I buy the bag, I'll eat it. Or maybe I shouldn't have a jar of that in my house, but I can get it at a restaurant. But I don't restrict any food because you know what? I restricted a lot enough. I restricted my contact with. Oh, I got my five minutes left, so I better shut up, huh? Okay. Um, I'm a talker, by the way. New Yorkers always are. Um, Even even introverted New Yorkers are talkers. Um, And with that, I forgot what I was going to say. So I feel like I'm healthy, pretty healthy, much of the time. When I'm not, I come here. I feel safe coming here. I have a service dog to help me with my psychiatric issues. You're the first group I've told that, they're psychi- that she's a psychiatric service dog because I feel safe to say that here. We all know we're nuts when we get here, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> but I really was. Um, anyway, and don't wait till the miracle. Don't wait. Don't quit before the miracle happens. That's what I want to do. Do not quit before the miracle happens. It took me decades, and I, and I made it. And you can too. Thanks.